Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Genesis chapter, or rather Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, page 142. Notice the context here. I'll bet you never knew that interracial marriage was in the scriptures as early as this, and it provoked some real opposition. Numbers chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3, page 142. Miriam and Aaron, both relatives of Moses, I might add, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite, or the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. And if you know anything about Ethiopians, they are very definitely black. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth, until someone else would come along. Psalm 37 and verses 1 through 11, page 550. We're going to come back to this. But this, if, if you want a, an opening up of the meaning of meekness, it's right here. Uh, page 550, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Notice this is of David, written by King David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they shall soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Literally, feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And just a little while the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace or abundance of peace. Page 970 in your pew Bibles. And we'll be coming back to this text. Page 970, Matthew 11, and verses 28 to 30. From Jesus himself, page 970. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And then turn back to page 962, Matthew 5 and verses 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, to which you say together, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. One of the things that a, that a pastor is asked to do, and in fact, he's, he's honored, or at least he should be, he's honored to do them, is to write references to people. I uh, did references for a number of you who signed the forms for Long Island Youth Mentoring, for one of our young ladies who wants to serve on a mission trip, and it always thrills me to write the references. And when you write the references, you have to put something of the character of the person that's in there. And I thought to myself, what, what, if, what if I was asked to write a reference for the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> what, would his, what would his character be? And... Uh, his character would be what, we, what we're calling the being attitudes. He was poor in spirit. He mourned. As you'll learn his own self-definition, he was meek. He was, a, he was a peacemaker. He was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And, and that's an interesting question. Um, what's your character as a Christian? Is your character, is my character, is it, is it defined, first of all, by the being attitudes. That's why we, we call them the being attitudes. Remember that, that these are the disciples. that are There's the crowds that have come to Jesus, but the text makes clear it's the disciples, those who want to follow Jesus, who are close to him, and he's teaching them. And when you're a follower of someone, you, you kind of catch their heart. Uh, their heart, your heart begins to beat with theirs. Theirs sets a tone for you. And, and that's really what it is to be a follower of Christ. Uh, by God's grace, his heart becomes your heart, and your heart inclines toward his, and you become a follower of the Lord Jesus. And, and uh, that's why we're calling these the being attitudes. This is not about a new law. It's about a new heart. And by the Spirit, who now uses the Word of God, as we've learned, as a pacemaker, and to keep our own hearts beating and, and, and in order according to, according to the Word of God as it focuses on Christ. Okay, so, so being attitudes, and uh, those who have the being attitudes are blessed. And as you think of Christ, you say, well, how did how was Christ blessed? Well, the Father says to the Son, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And, and that's what it is to be blessed for the Father to say to us, I'm well pleased. My smile is upon that person to be blessed. And then what is the blessing? We notice blessed are, and you have the being attitudes, and then there's the blessing. And one is the kingdom of heaven, which is really salvation itself. Heaven and all that it is, is given to those who are poor in spirit. And when you confess your bankruptcy before God and you reach your hands out to God, he gives you the everlasting riches of the kingdom of heaven. Wow, 
That's what grace is all about. Uh, or comfort. Who receives comfort? Those who mourn. Those who know something of themselves as they are before God, before the world, in themselves. And they, they do mourn. And, and I hope, brothers and sisters, I know this has been somewhat, I hope, somewhat true of me. Are these things your daily heartbeat? Moment by moment, Lord, I'm bankrupt, but my riches are in you. Um, mourning is something, it can almost seem like you're depressed. It's not, mourning is not depression, but you are honest about yourself. You are honest about the world. You are honest, you're being real. And you mourn over your sin. You mourn over your failings. You mourn over the world. You mourn over what's around you. And there you should never stop. You'll be comforted. You'll be comforted. You'll be comforted. So, so those are just the first two of the being attitudes. And are those your daily heartbeat? An interesting thinking about mourning in the last week. Um, but to examine myself, and poor Margaret's had to put up with me through all of this, but I've been more sensitive to the fact that in this life you always live with a broken heart, but always with the comfort that the Lord will mend it. Okay, that's, that's enough on the introduction for this today. This is my favorite of the being attitudes. I don't, I, do you have favorites in the beatitudes? I don't know. I, I don't think persecution would be my favorite one. Um, maybe peacemakers you enjoy, but, but this is my favorite for a reason we'll get to in just a little bit. Um, it's my favorite being attitude. It, it is the way, folks, to your inheritance. If you, if you had to see a highway, highway is Christ, but, but you have to see a highway to your inheritance, that highway is called meekness. And at least in my opinion, it's the hardest to cultivate. And, and I think you'll see why. We're going to look at the word, so the background to it. I want to give you two examples from the scriptures. And if they, if what, if you, if if God hasn't gotten to your heart by opening up the word and how it's used in the scriptures, wait till you come to the examples, and then we'll all be crying out for the blessing itself. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, the word is meek or meekness. And those the two terms are used in the New Testament and also in variations in the Old Testament. These, this word, meek, it's, it's one of the reasons why sometimes you read it and it's gentle, sometimes you read it's humble. It is notoriously hard to define. Um, and and uh, I mentioned this in the house, and, and at least Margaret and Nan were left cold by it, but I still think it's a pretty good analogy. The word meek is like a woman who is hard, it plays hard to get, okay? You, 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 you want her to be your girlfriend, you want her to be your wife, and, and yet she can be kind of elusive. And that's very attractive to a man, actually, when a woman like that plays hard to get. And the word meek is like that. And in fact, it, it's interesting, in 1 Peter 3, it's a word used to describe a godly wife, um, married to an unbeliever in this case. And her beauty is not in, in, we would say, in makeup and in earrings and in dress, but the beauty of a meek and quiet spirit that is precious in the sight of God, which is another way of saying, even though this woman is living, listen carefully, in a, a, in a place of opposition to her faith, 
She has a meek and quiet spirit, and she's blessed. So, so it really is. It has a certain that certain kind of female characteristic to it as well, although it is really a very masculine kind of word. Anyway, the background to this word is really quite interesting. It, there's these words in many cases were used in classical Greek, uh, which was the Greek prior to the New Testament of the first century. And then, and then variations of them were used in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And, and it's quite a fascinating background. Very commonly mentioned among, among the Greeks, interestingly. Meekness, which basically meant a gentleness, a kindness, a civility, self-control under pressure. As I, as I read that about the way even pagans described meekness, it really stuck with me. We'll come back to it. Self-control under pressure. As far as it goes, that's a good definition. And, and it was particularly held by those who were called Stoics. Now, Stoics were not people who didn't smile. But Stoics were people who, they loved que sera, sera. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. That's Stoicism, okay? It's going to come. You don't have any control over it. Just, just take it as it comes to you and, and, and submit to it, hopefully with a certain amount of joy. Take, accept what comes. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Nan's going to be doing face painting on Saturday. And what's face painting? Well, you have a, you have a we'll say a child that's got a pretty angry spirit, uh, but there's a, a smiley face put on. And, but it's not, it's not the heart of the person, but it looks good. It looks good on the outside. These definitions are face painting, okay? They, they don't really affect the heart. In fact, there's no heart to them. In fact, when you get beneath the surface among the Stoics, there's a lot of pride. See how I bear up under the injustices of life. That's not meekness. That's pure pride. So, so while it's interesting that this, this was cultivated, it, it, it's not, not the way it's used in the New Testament. How is it used in the New Testament beginning here? Well, just in general, we're going now from, from you in relation to yourself. I am poor in spirit and I mourn. I am empty of everything, but I possess everything in Christ. I, I grieve over the loss of my own innocence. I grieve over the loss of the innocence of the world. I grieve over death. And, and so we, it's very, these things are very personal. Now there's a shift. Meekness has to do with your relationship with God and your relationship with others, but don't end there. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others when there's opposition, when there is antagonism. Now, it's really God isn't antagonistic to us. Sometimes it feels that way. But meekness, meekness assumes you're not in a pleasant environment, okay? Now, now, supremely, Christ is meek. Now, let's begin looking at, at, at some texts in Scripture. It's interesting that, that Jesus, remember we, 
that message, the king on a colt. It is, uh, it's Palm Sunday, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and, and Israel is, yes, this is the king. He's going to squash the Romans. Yes. And Jesus quotes from the Old Testament prophet, he is meek and lowly, not riding on a war horse, and not even riding on a donkey, riding on the foal of a donkey, riding on, on a, a baby donkey, so to speak. He's meek and lowly. So he's described that way. But now, look, look at the text that we read uh, just before. Matthew 11 and verses 28 to 30. And use your pew Bibles. I'll give you the, I'll give you the page numbers, 970. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Isn't it interesting that you have, I think this is the right number, 89 gospel chapters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only one place where Jesus unveils what his heart is like. And it's right here. Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You are heavy laden with your sin. You are heavy laden with the thorns of living in this world. You are heavy laden with all that's warped about yourself and about you. Whatever, whatever, whatever makes you heavy laden, that's it. Come unto me, he says, all you who labor, you work hard and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, which is Jesus' lordship, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, Dane Ortland, in his priceless volume, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Man, he, he's got it when he deals with this text. Jesus is not trigger-happy. He is not harsh. He is not reactionary. Jesus is not easily exasperated. Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Do you think about Jesus like that? I suggest to you that most people don't. They think of Jesus as an accusatory, mean, harsh rabbi. Which is one of the reasons why the Christian church gets such a bad rap in the world. But, but we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. But what Ortland's got it. Uh, that, that's, that's something of the heart of Christ. Now, that's Christ. But these things are also graces that are hallmarks of the true Christian life. Uh, they're, they're things that should go on your reference if someone writes a reference about you. Um, and and, 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 and they, they, it takes root and it grows in you. How so? Well, th there's, there's basically, five, as I see it, five different ways meekness is used when it comes to us. Meekness is necessary 
if you're going to receive the Word of God in such a way that you'll be saved by it. Wow! Meekness is necessary if you're going to receive the Word of God in such a way that you're saved by it. James chapter 1 and verse 21. So you're moving ahead in your New Testament. Right after the book of Hebrews, James 1 and verse 21. And that's page 1,199. Listen, listen to the, the, again, the context, okay? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Those are marks of meekness. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man, the opposite of meekness, does not produce or bring about the righteousness of God in you or in anybody else. Therefore, put away all filthiness. I love the way that King James has the next phrase, and superfluity of naughtiness, <laughs> or as it says here, and, and rampant wickedness. Well, was put away all sin, and watch, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Because the word, do you realize when the word comes to you, it hits your heart? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. And later on, in chapter 3 and verse 13, James speaks about the meekness of wisdom, walking in the fear of God. Is, is meekness. Well, well, what is it to receive with meekness, the engrafted word? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger, brothers and sisters, brings religious cancel culture to your soul. I can't stand cancel culture. I don't like any form of trying to remove from the public square things, whether they're good or not, are at least true. There are heroes who are not necessarily good people, but whom the Lord used. And cancel culture doesn't help by getting rid of their statues. I hate cancel culture. Applied to myself, if I don't listen to God and others, and I am quick to speak and quick to anger, I've imposed my own cancel culture on my soul, and so have you. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, that doesn't mean you're a milk toast. It doesn't mean you're an overcooked piece of linguine in your spine. But there is self-control under pressure. Okay. That's not a complete definition, but at least it's a helpful one. Now, okay, so it's necessary to receive the Word of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5 and verse 23. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness there. Is, is patience, rather, is, is, I believe, meekness. Meekness is in there. 
gentleness, meekness is there. But more than that, it's the atmosphere of the life of the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Ephesians 4 and verse 2, Galatians, Ephesians, page 1161. And we'll look at the parallel text in Colossians 2. Ephesians 4, after all the glories of God's grace in election and granting the Holy Spirit and, and, and showing us the love of God. In chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. I, 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 I am putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. I'm a, I'm a prisoner for Christ. I urge you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with all humility and meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You get someone in the church who disagrees with you politically, 180 degrees opposite of you, and you have thought about your convictions politically, you have wrestled with those things, it can be awfully hard to be humble and gentle and patient, bearing with someone else you think is an idiot, <laughs> right? You're called to do that. You let a church be identified as connected with a candidate or a political party, you don't want to be part of that church. Christ doesn't identify himself with political parties. Now, a little bit later, we are going to pray for a new official in the government that I'm not sure I would agree with on everything, but I thank God that after three weeks of acting like the Keystone Cops, those of you who are mostly too old to know what that is, acting like a bunch of clowns, finally put a Speaker of the House who really is a committed Christian. And I'm thankful for that, and you ought to be as well. You agree on everything? You probably don't. But the Lord is honoring you. Okay, but the point is, when people disagree with you on that, you work hard to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, which demands something called meekness. And then the parallel text is in Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. And that's page 1170. After, after, here's the, here's the, the inclusiveness of the church. I'll come back to that. The church isn't Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Democrat, Republican, libertarian, socialist. Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassionate hearts, giving yourself for the good of others, kindness, practical expressions of love, humility, you walk carefully before God and others, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And folks, if we all agreed on everything, why would you have to bear with one another? You'll find out in just a bit with the portraits what that means. Bearing, bearing with one another 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, giving yourself for the good of the others. Uh, the book of Titus, chapter 3, right after 2 Timothy, and, and as beautiful section on the lifestyle of the kingdom, page 1185. Remind them, Titus 3 and verse 1, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, and to speak evil of no, to no one, to avoid quarreling. Sometimes, folks, you ought not be speaking about certain topics with people. If you really think this person who disagrees with you is really pretty stupid about it, don't talk about it with the person. Now, in certain contexts, it may be okay, but, but the point is, be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, meek, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's the lifestyle of the kingdom. Is it hard? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But there's a way to develop it. We'll come to that. Now, particularly for pastors and elders, this is not only the atmosphere of the life of the church, it's the character of all ministry. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Let the word of God wash over you. Okay, Galatians 6 and verse 1. Page 1,158. Now this is not just speaking to pastors, not just speaking to elders, but it's speaking to anyone in, in church life. Okay, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, yell at them. No, it doesn't say that. You who are spiritual, gossip about them behind their back. You who are spiritual, which means filled with the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of meekness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Notice, notice how meekness, we're dealing not only with ourselves, but our relationship with God and with others. And you see that here. If you're going to restore someone in the spirit of meekness, you're frankly very upset by them. It's, this is the dilemma. People who say, well, my, my daughter, my son has an alternate sexual lifestyle. And if you're going to be meek, you need to accept it. No, you don't. You don't accept what God's called wrong. But even though it's offensive, even though you are personally offended and grieved and maybe angered to some extent, you deal with someone with self-control that's under pressure. And that's not only true of all of us dealing with others, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 21, one of two texts that I would emphasize in, in pastoral theology on church discipline. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 21, and that's page 1000, 
133 in your Bibles. It's interesting that Paul deals with the kingdom of God, page 1133, Ephesians, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Notice the way that power is going to be manifested. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? And yet people, there it is, there is the power. That's what we have as church officers, the rod discipline. You'd better be sure you're walking with the Lord or we'll use discipline. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? That doesn't countenance sin. But what it says is, well, do you want to know what it is? The other text that complements it is in 1 Corinthians, not only 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 21, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. One of the most beautiful statements of what discipline is. Verse 1, page 1150. I, Paul, myself entreat you. These are the Corinthians, folks. They were a mess. Worship was a charismatic free-for-all. They had drunkards at the Lord's Supper. They tolerated sexual perversion, which Paul told them they needed to correct. That's why he said, shall I come to you with a rod or in a spirit of gentleness? It was a mess. And there's certain measures of repentance, but not all there should be. And in Paul's second letter to them, he says, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Where does he get that? From Christ's own self-description. I am meek and lowly of heart. I beseech you in that way. But he says, I'm still bold, but, but I have the meekness of Christ. And 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. That's why I want the word to wash over you here. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25 which the Lord used to lance me years ago when I was, I was replacing, I was replacing a, a, a love, I think a love for holiness in the Word of God with anger. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. In verse 24, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach Patiently enduring evil is in meekness. Enduring evil, correcting his opponents with meekness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He said, well, what kind of thing is Paul dealing with? We'll get to it when we deal with the two models, two models of meekness. But, but just want one more. I think of this because of the Where Are You With God meetings. Meekness is necessary if you are going to defend the faith properly. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. First Peter 3 and verse 15. In your hearts... 
honor. And note, this is in the context of suffering. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Sounds like the Beatitudes. Have no fear of them or be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense and apologetic to give a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. That's what Where Are You With God meetings are about. Yet do it with meekness and respect. Thursday night, and pray that, that we get people who are skeptics, we want them. We're going to begin with a few YouTube videos. People are at a, at a pro-life rally, or rallies. And, excuse the expression, kind of snotty guy comes up to them. He's the kind of guy you just don't like from his first few syllables. He comes up to you and says, hey, he says, uh, is your God pro-life? Oh, absolutely. Then why did he wipe almost everybody out in a flood, huh? And I have to admit, when you hear it from somebody like that, you get angry. Meekness, self-control under pressure. You see how important that is? So, so, so there's your, your kind of swath of what's in view. Now, before we give a couple of the examples in the Scriptures... Our evening discussions, when Nan gets done her coursework at New York University, are their decompression times. Nan is getting fed a pretty heavy diet of pure Marxism and his hatred of Christianity. And unlike what you might have seen 20 years ago, it's, it's pretty undisguised. It, it's, it's just right out there. And the essence of a lot of her education is one subject, diversity. And you get this when you have, Nan showed us 30 names or so from one of the classes she's in. I don't think there was a John or a Bill or a Mary in it. And those are just the first names. And the last, okay, so you get it. it, it it's, you're, going to have, you're going to have a lot of different races, a lot of different nationalities, a lot of different socioeconomic groups. And I get that. And, and, and you see what diversity is. But that's, that's not the main push. D diversity is tolerance for everything except what you don't agree with. And it's tolerance that comes because you throw any norms out the window except the norms of your group. And as we spoke last week, it dawned on me that what man's classmates and teachers, I'll use Paul's language in Acts 17, are what they're groping for. A community of love, a community of kindness, a community of acceptance, uh, a community of shalom, of peace. In the best expression, that's, that's what they're looking for. I said, Nan, I'll give you an assignment. Raise your hand in class and say, you know, there, there, is, there is a community in the world that, that really does have these things. Not perfect, because we're not perfect. But, but that community is the Christian church. 
because I think we've read something about Jews and Gentiles and poor and rich and slave and free and master and servant who are functioning as brothers and sisters in this thing called the church. Amen. And, and I said, uh, Nan, ask, ask your teacher if you could get your pastor or another pastor that believes the gospel to come in and, and talk about the church and what its best expression is. I'm not holding my breath, incidentally. <laughs> but, but you get the idea. Now, now, what do I mean by that? The challenge of a culture of diversity. In the church, there's law, but there's also grace. In the church, there's morals, but there's also mercy. In the church, there's ethics, but there's also etiquette. And in the church, as we've learned, there's truth, but there is love. What's necessary, if you're going to put those together, see, the world can't do it. Don't ever, when you hear from people in certain political spectra, we're inclusive. You don't have to listen very long and you'll find out they're inclusive to a point until someone disagrees with their norms or their standards. And they do have them. Anyway, anyway the necessary ingredient for a culture of grace and law is meekness. As one person described it, the humble strength of one who has learned to submit to difficulties. Stop there in that stoicism. The humble strength of one who has learned to submit to differences, knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. See the difference? See the difference? Blessed are those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. And, and let me just very quickly give you a couple of examples. The Bible gives them. One is Moses. Moses was the meekest man in all of the earth. <laughs> and that comes in the context of these ungrateful Israelites that want to go back to the leeks and garlics of Egypt because they're tired of the manna that God has given them and they blame Moses. Now, there were other points where Moses loses his cool, but not there. He play, prays for them, and there's meekness. And family strife. Miriam, Miriam and Aaron were relatives of Moses. And yeah, he, he married a Cushite. He married an Ethiopian woman. It was pretty stark. You've got, you've got what we would know today as a Jew, and you've got a very black person. And they carp about Moses. They criticize Moses. In fact, they not only criticize Moses, they say, uh, Moses, uh, we don't think God has just spoken through you. We think he's spoken through us too. Move over a little bit and let us take charge here. Now the Lord intervenes, as he will, but Moses is quiet. Meekest man in all the earth until Jesus comes, who calls himself meek and lowly of heart. Think with me a little bit about Jesus, okay? He heals people. He's gracious to people, a number of them. Only one comes back to thank him. Jesus knows the Old Testament unlike anyone else. 
And yet he's opposed by the clergy, by the religious establishment of his day. And as he makes his trips to Jerusalem, that opposition is greater and greater. Jesus has disciples who, even though they see him as a servant, they fight about who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus needs them, he needs them to be with him in Gethsemane. They fall asleep. They profess that they won't deny him, and yet they do, right down to Peter, who explicitly said, I won't deny you, and explicitly did. You find Jesus grousing? You find Jesus getting angry, blowing his stack. He does rebuke, he does correct at points, but he has self-control under pressure. The kings of the earth raging against Jesus. Here's Psalm 2, and you have it with Herod, and you have it with Pilate. And they want to kill him. That's Jesus. And then, and then as you come to the cross, this is God, folks. This is God. Meekness is never attributed to God. Even though he is self-controlled under pressure, he's never called meek because he's God. And Jesus, Jesus is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. People spit on him, on God. People take the emblem of curse, thorns, and they press them into the brow of the God-man. That one who would bear the curse is made to feel the pains of a thorns representing curse. They strip him. They mock him. They crucify him. And his response is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. What's your day been like? See why meekness? It's very difficult to cultivate it, but that's why it's the preeminent grace of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness, self-control under pressure, that's stoic. It's the heart of Christ toward God and others when you're under pressure. That's what it is. And my dear brothers and sisters, this isn't law. I'm not going to give you six steps to be meek. There's only one way to it. You bring your heart to the heart of Christ, who is meek. And he'll not only give you his heart, but the pacemaker of the word of God will continue to form it. Now let's just, in the minute we have left or so, turn to Psalm 37 and verses 1 through 11. This, this is an exposition, an opening up of meekness, okay? Psalm 37 and verses 1 through 11. Here you go. Here's meekness. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Does that mean you don't stand against evildoers? No, you must. That's not what the text is saying. See, if you fret yourself because of them, they're your lords, which is exactly what they want. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, 
nor be envious of wrongdoers. They're going to fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Isn't that great? Moment by moment, you're strengthened and nourished by the fact that God's going to be faithful to his promises. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He'll act. Bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. This is the call to do the right thing, to be sure. But don't fret because of evildoers. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Remember, it's the cancel culture of your soul when you do that. For the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in literally abundance of peace. Here is the world. Be tough. Look out for number one. Fight back. Get what's coming to you. Self-control under pressure with the heart of Christ. And there will be tidbits of the blessing of the inheritance in life. But this is a profound, profound promise, far more than tidbits. You'll inherit the earth or the land. What does that mean? You're in the will and testament of the greatest human being who ever walked the face of this earth, God and man. And when he shed his blood and died so that his testament might be opened up and an inheritance be given to you who rest in him. Remember what you are. You, you are his brothers and sisters. You are, in a real sense, to his children. And his inheritance to you, who bear the mark of his meek heart, is you're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. You're going to have everything. That's going to come to you. And that needs to be your consolation. Again, folks, this is not by trying to be meek. Let me get a face painting, okay? A smiley face. Now, it's not a face painting of being meek. It's not stoicism, which is pride. You draw near to the meekest man who ever walked the face of this earth. That's what it is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to by grace bring your heart to his. And the blessing in this life, let me cite just a little thing from Dane Ortland again in his, in his volume, Gentle and Lowly. He says, when he talks about the blessing of having the meekness in Christ, he says, only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven. <coughs> and die one day 
having startled the world by giving it glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. What does he mean by that? God's greatness and love goes way, 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 way beyond our merits. It's grace. And you show that to people with the heart of Christ. And as he puts it, it startles. It would even startle NYU. And that's what you want to do. And then in eternity, you think, Lord, three score and ten, four score, 70, 80 years. Meekness assumes opposition. Meekness assumes difficulty. Meekness assumes you're around people that are very difficult to be with. Meekness assumes that to some extent you'll be despised and rejected, sometimes by your own family. Jesus was. Meekness assumes opposition. Three score and ten or four score. That's nothing in comparison to an eternity in which you share in the inheritance of new heavens and new earth, in which there's no more reason to have self-control under pressure. I think that's a pretty good deal. Let's pray. God, we are so convicted. We are so convicted. It's so easy for us to give in to our own wrath, even though you tell us the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And we confess, Lord, that it, we need grace to put together truth and love. We need grace to put together law and gospel. We need grace to put together morals and meekness. We need grace to put together ethics and etiquette. But Lord, we must have those. And we pray that you would give them to us by giving us the heart of Christ. And Lord, we confess it's a conundrum, it's a riddle to us. We don't, can't give ourselves new hearts. In the nature of the case, you've got to give us new hearts. And yet, Lord, we, we need new hearts. And so we look to you to give us not new law, but new heart. Give us the heart of Christ and cause your word to be, by the Spirit, to be that pacemaker that keeps that new heart beating with the heart of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.